In this session, what we'd like to do is fellowship about the nature of a true school or the nature of the winter school of truth. You know, there's a goal to it. There's a nature. Uh, we like to talk about that. You see, when you use the term school, it right away gives you an impression that we are trying to educate the young people in certain truths, doctrines. And so Brother Lee was very concerned about this, that we would right away have the wrong impression about what we are trying to do. Uh, in fact, he didn't like to use the word school. But actually, this word school is used in the New Testament where Paul, he rented or he, he taught in a school, the school of Tyrannius. Uh, and he, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean he taught like a school would teach. And in the same way, we have to be careful to understand what we're trying to do. Uh, initially, in 1984, when we began to have the uh, summer schools of truth, the thought among the saints was that we would use the professional school teachers, the ones that had training in the uh, secular schools, elementary and junior high and high schools, they would become the teachers because they have that skill. And he told us right away, the kind of teaching that we're going to do is very different from what we do in a public school or in a school setting. Our topic is God. It's not mathematics or history or science. We're teaching God, not just about God. We are teaching God into people. In God's economy, he is a dispensing God. He wants to impart himself, infuse himself into his chosen people. And they are his vessels. His lone, lone unique desire is that he could enter in and occupy his chosen people. That he could have access, entrance. He could mingle himself with them change them in their nature, constitute them with himself, that they could become the new creation. This is God's desire. So when we have a summer school of the truth, we're not going to be giving lectures or teaching doctrines or even uh, memorizing points. That's not our what we do. You know, there's a, a marvelous... Uh, item in the New Testament is faith. You know, grace is a mysterious word, and faith is a mysterious word. When I was growing up, my father was very, very strong on this point, that you have to have faith. You have to have faith. You know, just believe, just believe. And we heard these kind of exhortations. Uh, you have a, a, a saint who is sick, and uh, needs healing. And you say, well, if you only believe, if you only believe, you can get healed. And so you think we have to conjure this up, that this has to come. Somehow we have to reach down deep into our soul and pull out a a handful of faith. And then uh, we get whatever it is we need. But we learned that faith comes from hearing. 
Remember last session we talked about having our ears opened? Faith comes from hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. Faith does not begin with us. Faith is something that's infused into us. Paul in Galatians chapter 3, he speaks of the hearing of faith. The hearing of faith. Did you receive the spirit out of the works of law or by the hearing of faith? And he even says such a harsh word to those poor Galatians. Are you so foolish? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? It's all about the hearing of faith. When we first received the gospel, this is what happened. Someone came to us in our need, in our situation, and they told us about the Lord Jesus. They told us about his salvation, about his dying love, about the forgiveness of sins. Oh, and this touched our heart. And we were under the hearing of faith. Someone presented Christ to us in such a delightful way and an appreciation was stirred up within us. An appreciation. This is faith. Faith is the appreciation. Even in the last session, we heard a little bit about loving the Lord and serving the Lord and maybe an appreciation started to rise up within us. That's faith. Faith is a response. Faith is amen. Faith is receiving the word and saying amen to it. Faith comes by hearing. And so the more we hear, the more faith is infused into us. The more faith we receive. You know, Abraham is the father of faith in the Old Testament. He's uh, the pattern of faith. And here you have this man, stranger, from Ur of Chaldea, in, in the... Babel area. And God appeared to him. And God called him. And and when God appeared to him and God called him, faith was infused into him. That's where Abraham got the faith to amen God's word and to follow. But God didn't appear to him only once. You read through Genesis Maybe seven times. And you know how this is how it works. The Lord speaks to us. And we get some faith. And we respond. Sometimes like Abraham. You know when the the word came to Abraham the first time. He didn't move. He just sat there. God said come out of your. He didn't. No. And so you think well God would forget that guy. You know get rid of him. He's no good. I told him to leave. He didn't leave. He just sits there. Actually, on God's side, he's thinking, oh, you know, this poor guy, he's stuck. He's stuck in Chaldea. I need to appear to him again. He doesn't have enough faith. I need to give him another dose. So he appears to him again, a little more. And then again, a little more, and again, a little more. You see, with the young people, it's like this. They need dose after dose after dose. They need the hearing of faith again and again and again. And the more they hear, the more faith rises up and gives them the ability to respond, to follow, to obey, to take this way. 
And so on our side, we're not just teaching Bible truth, doctrine. We're giving them injections, infusion. They're coming under a bright light. And something is being transfused into them. Like radiation, you know. You get uh, irradiated. And my, this is where faith comes from. So you could say this, that grace is God coming to man. God became a man. You know, when the word became flesh, full of grace. This is grace. Grace is God coming to man. And so our messages, our, our teaching, quote, quote, have to be grace. Amen. Full of God in Christ as the spirit reaching man. Amen. And that's an infusion. And the result is faith. Ooh. More, a little more, a little more. You see, the nature of our summer school or winter schools of truth is just this. It's the infusion of faith, which is the infusion of the ability to believe, follow, and obey the Lord. Amen. We realize they might come with nothing. They might come empty. No ability. So you give them a command, follow the Lord, obey the Lord, pay the price, pour out everything on the Lord. And they're sitting there. They can't. They have nothing. But you give them something. You present Christ to them this way and that way. And you show them this and you show them that. Oh, faith comes up. This is what we're doing. So... Our feeling is like this. Just get them there. Just get them in the room. And then we'll infuse them with faith. And then we go into the groups and we fellowship. Oh, more faith, more faith, more grace, more faith. Oh, you know what faith is? Faith is just grace that has come into us and is going back to the Lord. Grace comes this way and faith goes that way, but it's the same thing. So when we come to the summer school or winter school of truth, you know, in Europe is the, only, is the only place we do winter school of truth. In South America, they do it in, in January, but it's summer down there. <clears throat> so that's summer school of truth there. And we did, we did winter here because we didn't want to disturb the schedule for the polling conference, which has been built up over many years. And we couldn't do two big events in the same summer. And then nothing in the winter, so we decided, let's just do this in the winter. So that's why it started that way. <clears throat> so when we come to this session, we're on session two. I hope you have your outline. It's called Learning to Teach God's Economy in an Experiential Way and Converting Doctrine into Experience. <clears throat> Brotherly was quite concerned that we would just teach in a doctrinal way. And he wanted us to learn how to teach in an experiential way. This is not easy. You, every, every point, every lesson has to touch them experientially. We have to present it in such a way that it is practical. And it's right where they live. And it's very experiential on their level.
And so this takes practice. And this takes a certain kind of preparation. It's not easy. You have to labor to do this. Uh, sometimes we came to this, to the true schools, the summer school or winter schools of truth. And the teachers were trying to get the young people to memorize all the definitions, to memorize all the points. And so that the young people, they could learn all these things. But it didn't affect their daily life at all. So we have to bring every point to their personal, practical life. This will help us very much. Actually, the best prophecies in the church meetings are the prophecies that are just like that. They're not just reciting or repeating the points. They're also talking about how they experienced it in their daily life, at their job, with their wife, with their children then uh, it becomes very helpful to everybody. So, Brother Lee said this, when you help the young people, do not give them a lot of doctrines. Instead, give them something practical. We should not put too much emphasis on doctrines, points. Not only when we have personal contact with them, but also when we are preaching the gospel or giving messages to them. He said, the more you give them doctrines and the more they just come and listen, the more they will become dead, cold, and backsliding. And we saw this. They became very bored, disinterested, and they didn't, it didn't apply. It didn't touch them at all in their practical life. Point B says, because young people have many practical problems, we need to spend some time to study the problems of the young people in their practical living. Then what you speak is practical and related to the practical matters that you have touched in their lives. I appreciate this a lot because he says we need to study. Study the young people. You know, the situation with young people changes very rapidly. The things that were problem, troublesome, to my generation, do not apply at all today. Even five years ago, ten years ago, the problems they face, the things that they're dealing with, so different. And so we have to study that. We have to consider that. What is it? You know, as we consider the young people and the work with the young people in Europe, we wonder what 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 is the big The big problem. What is the biggest difficulty they face? What do they struggle with the most? And then you study this and you consider this. And then when you give your lessons, you're talking about it in the context of that. You bring that in. That is, and that touches them because it's it's practical. It's right where they are. So Roman 2 says this. In teaching the truth to the young people, we need to learn how to teach God's economy in an experiential way. Um, For many years, um, as I was speaking to young people, teenagers, my burden was often to uh, adjust them or regulate them, warn them, don't do that. Don't go there. 
stop doing this, don't have a girlfriend, don't have a boyfriend, don't go to those movies, don't listen to that kind of music. And so we use the Bible, we use the stories in the Bible, we use a lot of things, but the burden was to produce really good kids, really good kids, well-behaved, proper. And so some years ago, the light came. We realized, no, we have to teach God's economy. And maybe this is a slogan to us. Maybe this sounds like cliche. It's not. God's economy is a real thing. And we have to learn how to teach God's economy. Not just, you know, dress this way, behave this way. Don't do that. Don't go there. Don't smoke that. Don't drink that. All those kind of regulations. The teaching, A says, the teaching in the New Testament is focused on God's economy. However, through the centuries, there have been many teachings which have not been on God's economy. We must learn from history not to teach anything other than God's dispensation. Okay. Probably the best way for me is just to go through the outline, just to read it, because... There's too many, too many ways to become distracted. The Bible is full of teachings. The Bible teaches about baptism. The Bible te- talks about gifts, speaking in tongues, healing. Psalms are there, you know, to comfort your heart. Proverbs are there for... Train up a child in the way in which he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. My father used to quote all the Proverbs to me. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it far from him. See, I still remember the verse because it was quoted to me so many times. Beat your child. He will not die. Well... There's a lot of things. You could have a whole ministry on teachings, teachings, teachings. But the focus of the New Testament is on God's economy. Simply put, God's economy is the dispensing of the processed and consummated triune God into his chosen people. This is clearly revealed from the first pages of the Bible. That God's intention was to enter into, occupy, mingle himself with, and reconstitute his people with himself. He wants to do an inward work, not just a cleaning up work. He doesn't want to just polish up old creation. He wants to make a new creation. And for this, those of us who are with the young people, we have to be blind We have to go blind and we have to go deaf. You know, I talked about hearing in the first session. You know, in Isaiah, there's another portion that says, who is blind like my servant and deaf? Sometimes we hear things and we wish we didn't hear that. Or we saw something and it really uh, became a problem to us. So really to serve them 
you have to be blind and deaf. You, you understand? So that nothing affects you. You just love them in the Lord. You just pour out for them in the Lord. And you're not, you're not distracted by what you see, by how they dress, by how they behave, by their being bored or by being disinterested. You just minister, minister, dispense, dispense. Because this is God's economy. God's economy is to dispense himself. So rather than trying to change, adjust them, correct them, our burden, there's only one burden. As soon as I get up, get up in front of them, it's to find a way to get something into them. <clears throat> the Greek word for economy means household law and implies distribution. This word denotes a household management, a household administration, a household government, and derivatively, a dispensation, a plan, or an economy for administration, distribution. Hence, it is a household economy. Probably this is the most thorough definition of God's economy that I found anywhere in the ministry. God's eternal purpose is revealed in Genesis chapter 1. God's plan to carry out his purpose, his economy, is revealed in Genesis chapter 2. God's eternal purpose is related to image and dominion, expression and authority. Expression to display a marvelous, rich, boundless eternal triune God, and dominion to represent him on the earth, to be his representation. This has been in God's heart for eternity. Genesis 2 reveals that he made man as a tripartite being, a vessel of three parts, and he placed a man in front of the tree of life so that he would eat, receive God as life, and become a man of life, a vessel of life. That's God's economy. So you have God's purpose in chapter 1, God's economy in chapter 2. But because of the fall, things became complicated. Became fallen, became dirty, became corrupted. So then the Lord Jesus had to come in his redemption to clear up all the negative things. So that now his economy can continue. Passing through the process of incarnation and human living, resurrect, uh, crucifixion and resurrection, becoming the spirit. And now as the spirit, he can enter into the believers. And now he can fulfill his eternal purpose. So God's eternal purpose and his economy are very, very precious to us. Our only burden is this. Our vision is this. Our heart, our desire, everything is wrapped up with this. I don't know how convinced each one of us are that our only need, our unique need, is to receive more dispensing. We might try to work on certain things, our temper, lust, Corruption, worldliness, we love the world too much, we're attracted to the 
defilements and the contamination of the world, and we try to work on that, and we're going to pray for that, and we have our, our problem with our temper. It's so embarrassing. It's so humiliating. So you pray for that, and you work on that. You hope, you ask the Lord for more strength. But actually, Triune God has only one desire, to use everything, failures, successes, personal problems, family problems, health problems, financial problems, all of these to accomplish one thing, and that is to dispense himself more, more and more into our being. Some years ago, something happened with my youngest daughter. And, you know, I'd been practicing for a number of years now in a very definite way to learn how to open myself up to the Lord and morning by morning to just ask the Lord to come in and mingle himself with me. I, I felt like I got it. I got it. I understand this, that I just need to open to the Lord more. I need to open more. And as things would happen with the brothers, with my family, with my marriage, with my kids, I would open. I would open. And then this, this thing happened with my daughter. And oh my goodness, the reaction, the strong reaction in my being. I had no idea how strong I could be. How reactive. Ah! It just... You know, I'm a gentle man. I just... I didn't realize that was in there until that happened. And my... I need more dispensing. So then I knew this is an area I have to open up. I have to open this up to the Lord. Because we don't even know there are parts of us that we're not even aware of. There are parts of our being that we don't even know exist, much less know to open it. But we have to learn, saints, what the young people need is more dispensing. That's what they need. Our lessons have to open them up have to give them realizations, have to touch their heart, soften their heart, open their heart to allow the Lord ground and room and opportunity for him to add himself, mingle himself, and build himself more. This should become our daily practice. First thing in the morning. Actually, this vision needs to be renewed in us every day. To what? I'm a vessel. And I need to open up. <clears throat> Every single one of us has a kind of an assignment from the Lord. Something that we can't change. This is God's economy is his household arrangement. It might be a brother in the church, it might be a marriage, it might be a child, or a few. It's your assignment. And that becomes the realm, the situation that has been personally designed by the Lord to Make his home in you. At first we may complain. We may, why me, Lord? 
Why is this happening? We might think it's because I have some problem in my life, some difficulty, sin in my life I need to clear up, and then the Lord will bless me with a lot of money or a good, good wife, good husband. But actually, he has only one intention, and that's to add himself to us. And all those difficulties, those pressures are that for that very reason, to open us up for more and more of his dispensing. Point two, under A, there are many other matters in the Bible, such as the law, history, and the prophecies, which can become distractions to us. Some are distracted from God's economy through their reading of the Psalms or Proverbs. As we teach in the Summer School of Truth, we should not, you probably should circle that, not have any burden, any view, or any vision other than God's economy. In our teaching, we should, only, we should know only one thing, God's economy. <clears throat> it's our only vision, our only burden, our only view. We only know one thing, God's economy. When we come to teach, we're infusing. When we consider their condition, their situation, we realize they need dispensing. Okay, so how do we become such a person like this? Point B, in order for us to be those who are competent to teach God's economy and fulfill our commission, we have to be on fire. You're on fire. This is the reason Paul reminded Timothy to fan into flame the gift of God which was in him. His young co-worker, Timothy, as we mentioned last night in our fellowship, Paul's about ready to leave. He's going to be martyred very soon. He's able to get off one last letter to his young co-worker, a concluding word. And he opens it up by saying, Timothy, you have to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you. That means you've got it. But you may be not not so exercised, not so vital. You know, I mentioned last night, Paul's word to Timothy at the end was, God has not given us a spirit of cowardice. That must have been because Timothy maybe was a little chicken, a little coward. He also told Timothy not to be ashamed of me. Why? Probably because Timothy was a little bit ashamed. Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel of Timothy too? We're just like him. He told Timothy, fan into flame. And that might have been because Timothy might have been cooled down a little bit. And he needed to to fight the battle, to finish your course to meet the need of the declining situation in the church. You have to be on fire. It doesn't mean you have to be loud or excited or you have to be something, someone so bold, but there should be a fire inside. You should be burning inside. You have to be on fire. Fan it into flame. You know, among a common kind of expression or prayer among Christians is to ask for the Spirit. You know, we need to pray for the Spirit. 
And we expect the Spirit would fall on us and we would be on fire. But Paul didn't tell him to pray for the Spirit. Paul told him to fan the Spirit into flame. You already have the Spirit. You already have the divine life. You've been born again. You have the Spirit. You have life. But you need to fan it. Don't let it go cold. Don't let it go out. For us to be those that can minister life and dispense God's economy into the young people, we have to be on fire. We have to have our spirit fanned into flame. God has given us two precious things, his divine life and his divine spirit. Now we need to fan the gift of God into flame. So you say, okay, how do you do this? How do you fan, how do you fan your spirit into flame? You might say, well, the first thing you should do is call on the Lord. Exercise your spirit. The brother said, no, 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 that's not the first thing. Say, well, what's the first thing? He told a story. When he was a child, he lived in northern China where it got very cold. And in his house, they didn't have heaters. They didn't have running water. And he had to start a fire. He was the fireman in his house. He had to light the the stove. And that's how the house stayed heated. And so he became very good at starting the fire in the, in the stove in the house. And what he learned is this, is that for you to have a good fire, you need to have a draft. You have to have a way for the air to come in. If you close everything up and you try and start a fire, it'll never start. But if you open up the, the vents, you open up the door, you open up the windows, you allow the, the air to flow in, the fire will start. He said, the first thing, for, the, us, for those of us that want to teach God's economy, the first thing we have to do is we have to learn how to open up. Open up all the doors and windows of our being. Open up our mind, our heart, our emotion, our will, our problems, our goals, our dreams, our failures. We open up everything. We become wide open. This is the first thing. You want to be on fire. You want to fan into flame. The first thing is to learn how to open. This is one of the secrets of God's economy. Is to learn how to be open, an open vessel. Actually, Paul's 14 epistles can be summarized with these two words, open vessel. Some brothers, you, you touch them and you can tell they're just an open vessel. They're simple, transparent, clear, crystal. They're open. They're just open. And when something happens, they know what to do. They go to the Lord and they open. But in addition to being open, like this cup, you know, it's open. But it's also full. So to be open also means, implies to be emptied, to be emptied out. So this is, this is how we practice. To fan into flame. First thing, we open. Second thing, we empty out. Our hurts, our wounds, our frustrations, our preoccupations, we learn how to empty ourselves out. And you say, well, how do you do that? Well, you just say it. Say, Lord, I, I open to you. Lord, I open. 
I empty out my hurts, my disappointments, my failures. You know, I heard last week you had Brother Ron here. What a treat. Talking about the consummated spirit and breathing. And uh, A.B. Simpson's hymn on breathing. Oh, Lord, breathe thy spirit on me. Teach me how to breathe thee in. Help me. Oh, help me. Pour into thy bosom all my life of self and sin. So what? You're breathing in, you're breathing out. You're emptying out, and you're being filled. This is God's economy. We breathe out our sadness. Breathe out our failures. Breathe in the Lord Jesus. The first step in fanning the gift is not to exercise. Little a. The first step is to open all the doors and windows. We need to open our entire being. Our mind, emotion, and will. Our entire soul and heart. Our heart and even our spirit. Those who teach in the summer school of truth must open their entire being so that the draft may come in. The spirit is in us already, but we need to fan the fire, the spirit, into flame. Some of us have been struggling with hurts or wounds, offenses for many years. Something happened. Hurt us deeply. Wounded us. Maybe it was a leading one or a co-worker. Maybe it was someone in the church. And we don't know how to get through. This is how you get through. Say, Lord, I open this to you. I let go. I empty it out. I release this. I give it back to you. This is how we get through things. This is how the young people will get through things. This is how they will learn to enjoy the Lord. Some of us, we suffered for years. We didn't know how to get through. God's economy. It's precious. Especially those of us who teach, those of us who will speak, or even in the groups. We have to be this. This is us. We have to be such an open, transparent uh, person. Point two, if our being is closed, we need to call on the name of the Lord Jesus. As we call on the Lord, we open not only our mouth, but also our spirit and our heart. Then the draft will come in, and that will fan into flame the eternal life and the eternal spirit within you. So then, after we've opened up, oh, we call on the Lord. Lord Jesus, oh, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. I open to you. Point C, if we would go to our class in the Summer School of Truth with a flame... We must be a person of prayer. If we are such a person, we will bring a spirit of prayer, an atmosphere of prayer to our class. Maybe you can think back to last year or to the last time you served with the young people. You have to ask yourself, was there a spirit of prayer in your times? You know, we could bring in a spirit of prayer, an atmosphere of prayer. I experience this with a brother sometimes. You're, 
you're with them in the fellowshipping, and there's a certain situation that needs a lot of fellowship, and then right away, one of the brothers, he just begins to pray. You think, amen, that's, yeah, amen. We need to pray about this. We need to pray for this. Many times in reading the ministry, I, I find myself praying. You know, there's a lot of prayers in the ministry. I don't know if you notice this. You just pray, pray them. We, be, we become this kind of a person, a person of prayer, where we're, we're turning everything into a kind of a prayer. Amen. And then we bring this atmosphere with us, and we bring this spirit with us. And we know that the young people, they're not understanding, they're not getting it, they're not seeing it. And so within, we're praying, Lord, Lord. And we bring in such an atmosphere, such a spirit uh, of prayer. Romans 3, once we have an atmosphere of prayer, we are now ready to teach. Not in a doctrinal way, but in an experiential way. By doing this, we will turn our teaching from doctrine to experience. This experiential fellowship will deeply impress the young people. Notice the connection between an atmosphere of prayer and teaching in an experiential way. These things are very closely related. He called it an experiential way, experiential fellowship. We should not ask our students merely to remember and recite all the points related to the lesson. That would be to teach in a doctrinal way. For example... God's judicial redemption involves forgiveness of sins, cleansing away of sins, justification, reconciliation, and positional sanctification. Five things. Do you know these five things? And maybe we can remember them, recite them. Forgiveness of sins, cleansing of sins, justification, and then reconciliation and sanctification, positionally. So we know judicial redemption. So this may be our way to teach. And see, okay, can you recite them? Okay, so you get them. Oh, he can't do it. How about you? Can you recite them? He can do it. Oh, praise the Lord, he can do it. And so we teach like this. But actually, this is not the way to teach. You want to talk to them about forgiveness of sins. You have to bring them into the feeling what it means to be forgiven. Oh, I had this failure. Terrible failure. I said something I shouldn't have said. I was so condemned. I went home. I, I prayed. I repented to the Lord. And I was forgiven. I had the boldness. I, knew, I had the Lord's presence. I knew what it felt like. I was with the brothers and I said something I shouldn't have said. I I was so embarrassed. I shouldn't have said that. This really happened. <laughs> let, me give me, let me make an excuse, okay? I was coming home from Poland. I arrived home from Poland 11 o'clock at night to my home. The next morning, there was a co-workers meeting, 9 o'clock. So I got home 11 o'clock. The next morning, I'm, I'm with the brothers. So I'm jet-lagged, I'm tired, I'm exhausted. You know, the week, week in Poland is like no other week. <laughs> Exhausting to the uttermost. So now I'm making an excuse, okay? <clears throat> so then a, a matter came up in fellowship with the brothers. 
And then I blurted out this stupid thing. I don't know why I said it. It's just. <laughs> and then right away, one of the brothers, he very graciously adjusted <laughs> my word. So then I went home that night. I thought, oh, Lord, I'm never going to speak again in one of these meetings. Never. I'm not going to ever open my mouth. And then I didn't know, should I apologize to the brothers? Should I repent to the brothers? And I said, well, no, that would just try to make myself look good. You know, I want to let them know that I... But anyway, I had to deal with the Lord. And I did. And I was forgiven. But not only that, I was cleansed. You know what cleansing does? It removes the record of sin. We're going to talk about this this afternoon. So you can forget about it. I could forget about it. Of course, I didn't forget about it because I just told you about it. <laughs> I'm keeping it alive. <laughs> Have you ever done something you wish you could forget? Forgiveness and cleansing will do that for you. Isn't that an experiential impression? Not just a doctrinal point of what it means to be forgiven. This is what he means. So we don't want them just to remember and recite all the points. Number one, if we would teach in an experiential way, we should help the young people to realize their situation and condition. Have to help them realize what their condition is. That means we have to know what their condition is. We must learn, I like this word learn, in our teaching to touch others experientially applying every point of our teaching to their personal, practical situation. When we teach a class in the Summer School of Truth, we should not take the way of giving messages or lectures. Instead, we need to have personal talks with the young people, teaching every point experientially. So we're not just giving lectures, giving messages like, Ministry, on our side, our feeling is is that we're having talks, talks with them. I have this feeling a lot that what I'd like to do is talk to them. Unfortunately, they're such a big group, you know, it's hard to talk to give them a personal kind of talk. But this should be our feeling. And as we're talking, we're looking at their eyes, and we can tell if they're receiving if they're open, if they're getting it. And you might have to adjust the way you're teaching, quote, quote, talking, so that you can touch them. And you might be aware of certain situations among some of them. And so you don't, of course, expose them publicly, but you have them on your heart. And because they're on your heart, as you're teaching this point, they're getting it. They're getting it. Heart to heart, without, without <clears throat> pointing them out, they get it. It's really, really precious. Every point of the lesson should be presented in a way that will create <clears throat> an experiential impression, applying every point to their actual situation. <clears throat> you want to create an experiential impression with the young people, talk to them about their relationship with their parents. 
All the young people have problems with their parents. <clears throat> We're burdened about this. Do we just want them to be good children, obeying, honoring their parents? No, we want them to experience the Lord as they're dealing with their parents. As you're talking with them, we should be watchful over each one, paying particular attention to their expressions. This is what I just mentioned. This will help us to know the needs of our students. If you want to stir up a praying spirit in the person with whom you're speaking, you yourself must be a person who is full of the praying spirit. Adequate prayer will accomplish at least three things. It will impress the young people in an experiential way with the points of the lesson. It will stir up their praying spirit within them and will cause them to become living. All of this from a praying spirit. Okay, Roman 4. In order to teach in an experiential way, we must convert every point in the lesson from doctrine into experience. After making such a conversion during our time of preparation, we should then speak to the young people about each point in the way of experience. The more we speak in this way, the more they will be unveiled. They will see a vision that will expose them. And spontaneously, they will be ushered into the experience of the very matter we have been presenting. If we teach in the way of merely imparting doctrines from the printed materials, we will do nothing more than impart some knowledge to the minds of our students. As a result, they will gain nothing in an experiential way. The knowledge they gain may damage them. This is serious. We don't want to damage the young people in our winter school of truth. The knowledge they gain may damage them. Later on, later, on another occasion, when they hear that word, they might say, I know this already. I heard all about it in the summer school of truth. In other words, I know transformation. I know. I know about it. I know. I know. I know. We must not damage the young people by giving them mere knowledge. In order to profit them with the truth, we must always teach them in an experiential way. In the next three sessions together, we're going to go through all 12 of the lessons that we'll be covering in, in the winter and hopefully draw out all the points in an experiential way, as an example, as a uh, pattern uh, for you. Do our best. It's not, it's not always that easy. Some of the points are not that easy to apply. <clears throat> okay, so let's come to Roman 5. This is the last Roman point. Before we begin to teach the young people in the summer school of truth... We ourselves need to receive Paul's inoculation and be filled, soaked, and saturated with the truth. I liked in this, <clears throat> this particular outline how many times 
Brother Brotherly said, we ourselves need, we need, we need, we must be a person of prayer. We, uh, you yourself must be a person full of a praying spirit. We must convert every church. It seems like there's so much for us. So much depends on, on our side. Uh, we have to be very much before the Lord. <clears throat> so we have to be, receive Paul's inoculation. His word, even God's full salvation, this whole topic, all 12 of these outlines are an inoculation against religion, against tradition, against uh, concepts, and also will prepare them and uh, inoculate them against the decline in this age. This age is under an intense uh, decline and we have to give them the truth as a stabilizing factor in their being. <clears throat> the word truth has been wrongly understood by many readers of the Bible because they regard truth as a matter of doctrine. In the New Testament, truth refers not to doctrine, but to the real things revealed in the New Testament concerning Christ and the church, according to God's New Testament economy. <clears throat> The element of the inoculation against the decline is the structure of the divine truth, which is the triune God plus his redemption, which becomes our salvation. As we prepare ourselves to teach, we should not merely put our trust in the lesson book. We need to immerse ourselves in the truth concerning God's full salvation. Well, saints, in the first session... This morning, we saw how much we need to become the slaves serving our master out of love. How our ears need to be bored with a hole opened so we can hear, hear the Lord. In shepherding people, in caring for them, in ministering to them, you have to be very quiet inside. And you have to be able to hear the Lord's leading, the Lord's speaking, so that we could minister a timely word to sustain a weary one with a word. This word doesn't come from us. It comes from the Lord within us. For this, we have to be very, very calm and exercised. In this session, we touch <clears throat> something of the nature of, God's, uh, of the truth school where we are altogether burdened for God's economy to open them up, to dispense the Lord into them, to generate faith within them, to feed them, supply them, and show them many, many wonderful things. Uh, this will impress them very much. And we know from our experience over many years, as they come and they sit there, they're with us in our groups, they're with us in the classes, uh, their beings are really opened up, and they get a lot, they get a lot. They may not remember everything, and I don't care about that. <clears throat> Later on, one of the functions of the spirit of reality is to remind us of the things that we've heard. Amen. And at the right time, the reminding spirit will come back and remind them of, of all the truth that they have received. But for us to capture them, for us to gain them, we have to be able to speak all these things in an experiential way, and we have to learn how to convert. 
all the points into experience. <clears throat> well, I'm going to stop here. Um, we have a few minutes. I think it would be good if there could be some overflow from either session today, this morning, or this afternoon. Uh, first session or the second one this morning. Okay? So why don't we do this? We still need a praying spirit, a praying atmosphere, a spirit of prayer. Why don't we pray with our neighbor for a minute or two, and then uh, we can have some sharing. Okay?